Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context as we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chan. I'm Max Tarrant. And I'm Sarah Watt. And each month at Cinema in Context we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective with some connection. It could be the same director, the same lead actor or similar theme. And this month we are discussing La La Land which came out late, late 2016 and Singing in the Rain which came out, well, 1952. The connection being they're both musicals. So, Sarah, do you want to start us off and give us a bit of a rundown on Singing in the Rain? Singing in the Rain, in my top six films of all time, will be for the rest of my life. Um, As you say, Jeremy, a 1952 film directed by Stanley Donan and uh, a bit of co-direction, I believe, from Gene Kelly, the wonderful singing and dance man for MGM, Metro-Golden-Mare, one of the major studios in Hollywood of of the time. Singing in the Rain is a fabulous film for all cinephiles and everybody uh, coming to film because it um, revolves around the realities of the advent of sound in the 1920s. We have Gene Kelly and um, Debbie Reynolds and Donald O'Connor, who are stalwarts of the MGM musical era, playing uh, musician, actress, well, wannabe actress, and film star extraordinaire in an era when black and white silent films were all the rage, all of a sudden a rival studio brings out a talking picture where sound is synchronised with what we see on screen, and all of a sudden the, the uh, studio in, in Singing in the Rain has to step up to the plate and, and get on board with these changes in technology. And a wonderful, uh, wonderful enchanting story ensues. With music. Oh, it's a musical. Yeah. Did I mention that? It's yes, a it musical. Is. It's a musical. <laughs> so there's singing and dancing and acting, and it's old school as, and it, it, it and it's uh, and it endures. Excellent. And William, La La Land. Okay, La La Land from 2016. Um, the new brainchild of Damien Chazelle, who is just—he's a wunderkind. I mean, what? He was 30 when he, he made this. That's that's crazy. I'm 30. <laughs> what have I do with my life? Um, so, La La Land is, is set uh, present day. It's a contemporary musical about two um, two dreamers, as as the movie calls them. Um, Mia, played by Emma Stone, is a aspiring actress, and Seb, played by Ryan Gosling, is someone who who wishes that people would treat jazz with the, the respect mm-hmm. that it deserves, um, even though no one is. Um, and it's a love story. It's a story about what it takes to make it in Hollywood, um, if it takes anything, or if you actually have to make every single sacrifice that you can make. Um, and now it's, yeah, currently uh, just an awards darling. Got nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, won a whole bunch of Golden Globes, and I think is uh, going to do quite well. And it, holds the, it's, it shares the record for the highest number of mm-hmm. nominations of the Academy Awards. 14. Mm. 14. Goodness gracious. In, in 13 categories, because of course it, it's up for two songs in mm-hmm. the song category. So oh. it can't win more than 13. Right. Interesting. Phew. (laughs) It's worth putting a disclaimer in here for our listeners that we had a discussion before we started about La La Land in regards to spoilers. We typically try to not spoil the current film, whereas the retrospective film is sort of up up for grabs because we feel like it's been out there long enough. Uh, But we're going to try our best to be spoiler-free with La La Land uh, while still talking about some of the more significant moments that could be spoiled. Yeah, I think we'll leave it leave it there. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. So let's jump into it. Um, we're going to start with Singing in the Rain. And 
What's interesting about musicals, of course, is what, is, what does the music mean? What does the dance mean? Uh, when do we get into these spaces? Um, and for me, it's going into the space of kind of emotions. Usually I feel that the, the, the music is used as kind of a, a representation of going to a kind of space of emotions or an emotional feeling. And so I think that was really uh, fantastically done in Singing in the Rain. Um, and I thought in particular what was interesting was the use of space. So because this is a kind of uh, a bit of a different realm, it's not necessarily a very literal realm for me. Meaning the musical? The, the, going to the music. Yep. It kind of... Um, the film did some fantastic things with space, like opening it up, um, using the... Um, studios mm -hmm. to create really interesting effects with uh, lights jumping out that you didn't know were there, um, creating kind of a slightly uh, phantasmagoric um, kind of cityscape. I don't know. Did you guys find that interesting? Mm, I think it's, it's kind of meta in that regard, isn't it? Like there's that, that great scene where uh, Don Lockwood takes... Um, Kathy, is her name Kathy? Kathy, yep. Kathy, Kathy Selden. Kathy Selden. Yeah. Uh, into the studio, and you know, it's just an empty stage. And then you know, there's yes. all that great construct oh. where turning on lights and bringing in a fan, and yeah. and it creates it so clearly. You know exactly what's going on. Yet it works. It's still a really lovely moment. So, mm. I, I've, I've been wondering whether one of the strengths of singing in the rain, and one of the things that made it intensely popular, is that probably in 1952 they weren't watching a lot of films that took you behind the scenes of Magic mm. Land. Uh, into behind the scenes of the studio and, and, and behind where all the magic happens. Certainly for me as a cinephile, one of the pleasures of Singing in the Rain is seeing the behind the scenes stuff. Um, whereas now, interestingly, 2016, we have grown up over the last several decades with either Christopher Guest films like For Your Consideration or David Mamet, um, was it State and Maine, I'm, I might be thinking of. So, so the player and films that actually take you behind the scenes in Hollywood and, yeah. and, and, and network and, and behind the scenes in television, mm -hmm. you're right, mm -hmm. and dispel or sort of, I suppose it's breaking that fourth wall a bit, isn't it? And... So nowadays, when we watch something like La La Land, we already know what Hollywood sets look like. We've all done the Universal Studios tour, probably, and, and um, we've seen the facades and all that. You know? I think all of the making of as well, you know, the rise yeah. of the DVD and how you know, mm. the bonus features have the making of. I grew up watching all those sort of things, so we're a lot more... So it's quite demystified. Now, And yet, certainly. interesting that this film comes out, La La Land, mm -hmm. which does have a very similar interest in kind of blurring the bounds between film and reality and kind of thinking about what do the characters in films think about and how do they act. Like, it's, it's again, quite meta, I think, in yeah. that way. And then, uh, speaking of 2016 films, also Hail Caesar uh, yes. did a very, very similar thing with how the studio spaces were set up and using that as part of the storytelling and talking about the, um, the facetiousness of, of Hollywood mm. and making that a major plot point, mm. uh, which is very much singing in the rain. That's, yeah, that's true. Coming back to the music, oh, yeah. I, you know, the music in Singing in the Rain is interesting, and I, I don't know whether you're aware of this, but all of the songs are songs that have previously been in other, oh, mm -hmm. um, like, not films, but other... Musicals musical popular music of the 20s and 30s, I think. Yeah, and it was all that, that oh. producer, that, the producer that made the film, he thought, there's all this great music that we've used in, like, the little short films that are played before the, the main feature... Or, or television, or whatever it is, let's collect all those into one film. And that's where the music of Singing in the Rain comes from. Mm. So a lot of people would have been familiar with a lot of the songs that's and cool. Singing in the Rain. That's mm. yeah. 
yeah, I really felt like it was, and I didn't know that, but I felt that it was steeped in kind of already um, at that point in 1952, steeped in a quite a significant culture of films. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good to remember that kind of that that history behind the you know whichever old film we're looking at, because I think there's a there's a chance that when we look at two films, we go here's the new one and here's the old one. It's kind of like it's kind of like bookended, mm. but we have to obviously respect that there's this massive history behind even the old ones. Yes, that's a good point. I, I just love how much nostalgia both Singing in the Rain and La La Land have towards old films. Uh, with Singing in the Rain, it's the the silent uh, movies of the twenties, yeah. uh, and with La La Land, it's the musicals of the thirties and forties specifically. Um, but there, there's such a sense of of both reverence and of um, I guess where the directors are coming from, uh, the whole standing on the shoulders of giants thing. Like, mm. This is this is how far we have come, but we could not have gotten this far without everything that had come before. Really good point. And as we mm. all know, from particularly from Whiplash, but also obviously in La La Land, Damien Chazelle is a massive jazz fiend. Oh. And of course, jazz <laughs> is not a particularly modern or contemporary yeah. musical genre. Um, so Ryan Gosling's character in La La Land is a, not just a jazz pianist, um, a jazz musician, but somebody who wants to open his own club and mm. keep that legend and that history alive. A purist, you're, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And you're and you're right that also in La La Land, Emma Stone's uh, costumes, in fact all of the young women's costumes in it are throwbacks mm. to um, I, I guess I would say probably 1950s kind of frocks and pretty mm. pretty little bar shoes with the little bow and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. And it's very unself-conscious because nowadays you could see young women, we would, mm. you do see young women wearing those clothes and you don't think, oh, do you think she's in a play? Mm. You think, oh, that's somebody who <laughs> likes to wear sort of um, slightly vintage clothes or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it absolutely works both in a 2016 context and in a, you know, as you say, sort of a... A, a, a love for the nostalgia and sort of, as you say, a reverence, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, true. And I think La La Land demonstrates above all else that anyone could love musical films, but you will never love musicals as much as Damien Chazelle loves musicals. <laughs> yeah. Because, man, it is just, it's almost like a fan film in places. Mm. Like, this, he's gushing, he wants to, he wants to put all the stuff on celluloid. And it's amazing just mm. what, what appears. Mm. I love, I mean, just to pick out a couple of throwbacks to specific films and just and talking about the frocks, uh, that scene with the girls getting ready for the party yeah. definitely felt like Grease to me. Mm -hmm. It was like the scene with the girls in the, in the bedroom singing about boys and whatever. Mm. Um, there was a real clear point right near the start of the film where Emma Stone's character is at that party and the music kind of is slow, and it speeds up and speeds up and speeds up, which I was like, oh, West Side Story, the same thing happens in West Side Story. And the imagery is also very similar to West Side Story as well. Yeah. Right? Everything is a little hazy, yeah. really, really colourful. And, and a lot of block of... colours as yeah, well. Yeah, a lot of, same thing, yeah. yeah, block colours and big prints, and, mm. and in that regard, much more 1950s advent of mm -hmm. colour and kind of everybody going, hey, we can mm, make yeah. things colourised, let's mm. go crazy, mm. than they might nowadays. And then, of course, some very, very clear links to Singing in the Rain. <laughs> I mean, we talked about whether or not we would pair these films because they'd be so easy to compare. Um, and there was definitely throwbacks. I mean, we've already talked about both of them talking about film. But, I mean, I think about the fantasy sequence mm -hmm. uh, at the Observatorium, is it? Yeah. 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 It's, it's very similar to the one I just described earlier in the, in the yeah. set when the um, I Was Meant For You. Uh, is it the song they sing? Um, no. 
but it'll come to me. But I know yeah. exactly the one that you're... <laughs> not you are my lucky star. No, that comes later da, on. Da, da, well, da, da, da. Oh, right. Yeah. I was meant for you. Could be. Yeah. Could be. So you're absolutely right. So up in the observatory in La La Land, there is a scene that you sort of think as a viewer, oh, wait, is this really happening? Or is this mm. kind of just nice? And then mm. you think, oh, well, this is really beautiful, so I'll just watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think this, you made an interesting point at the beginning, Max. This, this ties back to, for me, La La Land walks this grey area between... Um, because it isn't an, a sort of a, an incisive commentary about the way Hollywood works, except that it also is, because Emma Stone goes to auditions where everybody there has auburn hair and a white blouse, and, mm-hmm. and we know that that's a trope of, of modern Hollywood. But then it also, La La Land, also allows there to be this fantasy aspect, because I'm always struck by, before they go into the observatory, Ryan and Emma, or who are we calling them? Mia and Seb... Um, have just met at a party, and then they break into a spontaneous dance routine, which, of course, nowadays, it's literally impossible to do that unless you both happen to attend the same Sirot class. You know, <laughs> Why nowadays? Why, when would have that happened? Well, no, the right, day? then you're right. So, like, never, exactly. Yeah. And this is obviously one of the tropes of musicals, is that yeah. you suspend your disbelief that these people magically manage to sort of coordinate... <laughs> A dance routine together. I think it's uh, particularly egregious in Oliver Twist or Oliver exclamation point. Right. Uh, <laughs> where the uh, who will buy my uh, this beautiful morning sequence oh, yeah. ends up with what seems like two hundred people. I love that film. On the streets in complete synchrony. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, wait, yeah. Do these people just discuss for weeks beforehand? Yeah. And uh, and then. Okay, guys, this is it. This is the morning. And yet, of course, <laughs> Oliver. Sorry. Oliver is at least a musical, right? Mm-hmm. So we we allow it because it's part of the it's part of that trope. The reality. If you of remember, the, yeah. in Five Hundred yeah. Days of Summer, which is not a musical in the <laughs> traditional sense, same sort of thing, isn't mm-hmm. it? He comes home from the date or whatever it is, That's and, true. and he starts dancing in the street, and all of a sudden there's a flash mob, and the whole of is it Central Park? I can't I remember so, where yeah, it's yeah, set. Yeah. Yeah. They're all dancing as well, mm-hmm. and again we go, well, this is charming, so we'll allow it. But getting back to La La Land, obviously much more intentionally, these are the tropes of a musical. Mm. Um, but the, the blurring, um, I think, is interesting because you've got Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone who are, look, let me just say, they do not need to be nominated for Oscars, <laughs> particularly not up the, against the people they're up against. But whatever, they're both immensely likable and they're hardworking and they do a great job. But throughout the film, they are real people. Mm. They don't sing that great. Yeah. <coughs> they don't dance perfectly mm. compared with Gene Kelly and yes. Debbie Reynolds. Yeah. Um, Lots of critiques of that from people that I know as well. But it shouldn't be a critique, should it? Because should, well, I mean, it shouldn't be a well, criticism. Depends. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have a criticism against the New Zealand Herald, which uh, is a rubbish, rubbish newspaper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that they had this this item yeah, saying why why critics are hating La La Land. But like, that's rubbish. Critics like, are oh, hating on them. Because the, the, in fact, they're terrible at dancing and they're terrible at singing. Say, New Zealand Herald, what are you talking about? I mean, <laughs> there's, there's, have you seen there's a Saturday Night Live sketch that came out last weekend, which is good good cop, bad cop, um, you know, in a cell, grilling this guy, and he's like, well, I don't even know what I did. And then you go, tell us what you, you know, we're going to repeat back what you said on this date. And uh, and they they repeat back the date, what he said, and it's effectively like, oh yeah, I thought La La Land was a bit overrated, and they're like, oh, <laughs> oh, all right, how dare you? Right. Like, I singing was that a bit overrated. Dude, that's the point. That, that people were actually gushing over it so much, probably more than I would think it deserves in some ways. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. There, there, I mean, there can be an issue with that 
them being just lifelike characters in some ways. If you if it's a throwback, then maybe you kind of I don't know. For mean, some people, they think, <laughs> okay, well, it needs to be. We need triple threats. We need the people that can sing, dance. And... You're Channing Tatum's of this world. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if Channing can can sing. I can't remember, but I think he can from the Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar, he does. But he, such he was a extraordinary. Job. So I mean, he's but he's a proper actor. Mm, Ryan Gosling, yeah. bless him, he can do the moves. Mm-hmm. But he apparently he was. He he's dancer. an actor, not a dancer as well. But he started yeah. off as a dancer. Oh, dancer. with Mickey Mouse Club. I think even before that, I saw right, a okay. clip with him. And, I, and I do know that he, I know that Chazelle said to him, you don't have to learn the jazz piano, but that Ryan Gosling went ahead and did his own, that did was his amazing. own piano. That yeah. was an amazing performance, but again, doing that piano, wow. But again, we're talking about, I think, we're talking about committed, talented young people, actors, mm-hmm. who have not been raised yeah. in an era that said, if you can't sing, dance and act, you ain't getting work. Yeah. Um, who happen to have chops in other areas, but are not experts. Mm-hmm. Personally, as a critic, I don't think that that's something to be criticised. I think that Damien Chazelle very purposefully wanted to, and this comes back to what you said, Max, make the musical um, relevant to a sort of a contemporary world, you know, Mm -hmm. that we maybe all do respond to this emotion, even if we are not dancing up and down Great South Road or, you know, in our respective school playgrounds or whatever, but maybe in our hearts we are, because it's a human instinct, I don't know. I I think... There is there's often criticism with film musicals in the last 10, 15 years uh, that when an actor is cast, that maybe isn't the strongest singer. But I think I'd much rather see a good actor doing an okay job at the singing and dancing than a great singer who's just doing... Who's, who's hammy. Ra- yeah, he's yeah. hammy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the, I think the criticism came, like, I think... Uh, Moulin Rouge was was he sort of revived the musical because yes. it hadn't been one for a long time. True, and you know there was that criticism. He being Baz Luhrmann, listeners. Yeah, and there was yeah. that criticism of um, of Ewan McGregor or Nicole no, Kidman. No, Nicole Kidman, her singing voice. Hmm. Interestingly, as well, the 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 Academy acknowledged Moulin Rouge with a number of awards, but it wasn't until Chicago the next year that it actually took the Best Picture Oscar. Um, and just talking about the Oscars. I think there's a case to be made about this is kind of moving a little bit away from musicals, but about them being behind the eight ball in a lot of senses. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of the examples. There's a lot of examples <laughs> through history where they will give the Oscar to the oh, the, totally. the film yeah. that yeah. maybe the next year that is riding off the coattails of the one that actually totally. broke ground. Mm. Yeah. So I think about um, Spartacus back in 19, I want to say 60 or something right there. Mm. Spartacus, which is I think fantastic, but then mm-hmm. of course the next year Ben Hur, yeah. which is very hammy won all the awards. Mm. Um, That's right. That totally makes sense as well, politically and stuff. People kind of... They get need, on the they need, they need kind of... Time. Yeah, they need a bit of <laughs> goading yeah. into uh, it. And, and, then, and then the same with like actors, right? They can do amazing performances early on in their career and then later on they get... They get the Oscar for something. Or for the next film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just looking back to Oliver, you mentioned Oliver, that came out in 19... I want to say 62, but I, um, this is just off the top of my so head. So is, is that the Polanski one? No, no, no. no it's, the, um, it's the big oh, it's musical. Oh, Lionel Bart. Musical. Yes, Lionel Bart. Yeah. Oh, Lionel Bart. It's yeah. really fantastic. Yeah. But it came out at the time. Well, that's also meant to be really good. But. When you look at the films that came out in that year, and again, I can't quite remember the year, maybe it might, might have been something like 1967, you know, like a mm-hmm. really, a year in terms of Vietnam War, like all these really groundbreaking films coming out, and Oliver wins the Oscar. This very, you know, heartwarming, saccharine, saccharine yeah. you know, and it wasn't until the next year that I think Midnight Cowboy took it away, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, 
And so just, I guess, to actually link it back into what we're talking about, with La La Land, I feel like it makes perfect sense to me that this, it's getting all of this gushing over it because we're in a very politically unsettled time, particularly mm-hmm. in, the, in the States. This is a film that is escapism yes. without glossing over a lot of the realities of what it is to be a, a jobbing actor or musician mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. So, yeah, it makes sense that it's, people are just going nuts over it. Mm. Oliver um, was 1968, so you're bang on, because Midnight Cowboy will have been 1970, I would have thought. Mm. So, yeah, okay. so you're, yeah, you're bang on with your... Um... So you think 68, that's Vietnam War, that's the height of, like, flower mm. power, that's, like, mm-hmm. protests. It won five Oscars. And, it, and it's a brilliant film. Don't get me wrong, I love Oliver. But can you see what other films were nominated that year? Along with it, I'd, is ha- that I'd, have, accessible? To, I'd have to have a look. But um, interestingly, yeah. like I, th- I think I can relate. This does link in somehow. I'm not quite sure how, but um, it doesn't seem like musicals are a self-sustaining kind of thing, though. In recent times, you had Moulin Rouge and you had Chicago, which were probably m- more similar, and so they stuck together a little bit. But then, in between and afterwards, it has been quite choppy. And you have things like The Artist, mm-hmm. which is Kind of, um, kind of already done a throwback to Singing in the Rain. Well, I was going to mention the artist. I think you're absolutely right, Max. I, I, you know, the artist came out and it was black and white and it was silent and everyone was like, wow, how many of these are we going to see? And then all I remember is seeing that wonderful Spanish version of Snow White, Blanc, Blanc, Blanc or whatever it was. And then everyone went, yeah, no, I think we're done with that now. I don't think we need any more black yeah, and white right. silent films. Mm. And I think yeah. they were bloody right as well. Mm. So I don't think that La La Land, as you say, is it's going to... It's not going to start gonna, a renaissance. No, I don't think it but, is. But Renaissance, Frozen. Frozen, of course, was massive. I'm not a huge fan of it, but it was massive. And Moana, mm-hmm. which I know we talked about, you know... But it has a musical. I love Moana. Yeah, but all the I animation think, films, most oh, of the animated films... I mean, yeah, you're, you're our Mr. Animation. Thing, yeah. but like, I, I, um, I haven't talked to you guys about this yet, but I, I much prefer Moana over Frozen. Uh, I, I, over Frozen? Be, yes. Definitely. Uh, partly definitely. because it's, it doesn't seem like it's a shame to be a musical. Um, there's songs left and right, and some of them are great, some of them not so great, but who cares? It's, it's always in its heart a musical. I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly what we were talking about with the... Uh, People needing, like, and Disney probably knows this, that people need a bit of goading to get into Mm -hmm. it. And so you go, like, they go, they put out a musical that's a bit more, like, kind of closed off about it and not very proud of itself being a musical. Mm -hmm. But then when that kind of starts to build people up to it, the next one they can actually just go up confidently and go, look, okay, we are doing a musical now. Mm. I love Moana. I've seen it twice now. I was surprised how much I loved it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. Um, really strong film. To the point where I'm not sure whether I want Moana or Zoolander to win the, uh, the best... The <laughs> Zootopia. Best, uh, Zoo, sorry, Zootopia. <laughs> Zoolander. <laughs> Zoolander. 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 Yeah. The Razzie. No, um, sorry, Zootopia or Moana to win the best animated... Mm. Um, Moana will not. Moana will Zootopia will definitely no win, way, just because yeah. of the political climate. And, and Fair enough. I mean, this is not a Moana conversation, but Moana is really contextually about yes, us and true. for us. The rest mm-hmm. of the world isn't going wahoo... I finally heard Rachel House in a, in a good role, you know. And I think she's tremendous, yeah. but no one else gives a hoot, you know. I didn't even know it was her until afterwards, I, but, um, it doesn't even sound like her, does it? But, but is your point, though, that, there are, that, that Moana is a musical and the animated films are often musicals and therefore there is an appetite for them? And my point is that I think there is a renaissance that started with mm. Frozen. 
potentially Tangle, but I don't remember if there's much musical in Tangle. Uh, there's like two or three, three songs, three songs. Right, so uh, I, would, I would give it yeah. to Tangled, because I think that was the start of Disney Animation's revival as well. But I think that in terms of renaissance, that's where we'll see it. Like I'm, I, I won't be surprised if they bring out another Disney Princess yeah. musical in the next couple of years. I, I, think, I oh sorry, no. Okay, um, to me, Moana felt felt for the first time in decades to be a Disney musical. Uh, Frozen has has some songs that are really really good, but it never felt to me like it was mm. like a musical from the nineties, mm. uh, where every single one of them those just had such memorable music and. Mm. It's it's cross generational. Like mm. you know, you could be five, you could be sixty, and you would know the Disney songs. Mm. And Frozen has that one song. Moana has a whole bunch, and that's I think what makes it different. Five? They've got five songs. Eh? I, I I do think though, if you'll forgive me, gentlemen, because I'm not a massive Moana fan, but that has doesn't have any bearing on what I'm about to say. I do think that the markets are so different. I know that we've spoken in the past about the fact that adults enjoy animated movies as much as young people, and I think that's true, but, I, but those musical animated films are designed for a market of young people, who, little people, mm-hmm. who love to sing and will sing the songs over and over um, and will re-watch the films over and over and over. And I feel like something like La La Land is, is different from that. Yeah. And I do mm-hmm. not think that there will be a massive appetite for a whole lot of That was my feeling. La I La Land. I agree. It's a nostalgia thing. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, I, yeah, I think it's, it's a passion project and it, it's more of a nostalgia thing than trying to start something new. I do too. And we're comparing it to Singing in the Rain for very good reason because we all watched it and went, blind. This, this has got a lot of throwbacks <laughs> to Singing in the Rain or isn't it resonant, etc., etc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree. I do not think that he's about to launch a whole... Um, a, whole, a whole realm of copycats and I really don't think that, that there should be any either no, because I they will inevitably no. be compared <laughs> to, to La La Land <laughs> and it'll become a thing like oh well um, it's La you know, La Land light yeah mm, Lindsay yeah. Lohan does sing better than Emma Stone <laughs> and, um, but you know what I mean yeah. oh, and I, I think this is partly why for me it wasn't like I really enjoyed it especially when I was in it and especially at the start but then I came out of it and I was like that wasn't that significant and I feel like maybe it's because he's not trying to do anything crazily new. Well, and also that would play to the Oscars, I think, being relatively conservative um, voter base or however it works. Especially that, for a, a movie about the industry. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty conservative. It doesn't yeah. challenge anything major. It, the meaning of it overall, the moral is kind of slightly vague. Are problematic. Important. I think yeah. the moral of yes. La La Land yeah, is probably, problematic. Yeah. Like, I mean, the that, he's got a problem with that, I think, actually. I'm 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 actually moving off him because I loved Whiplash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and then afterwards I kind of thought about the moral. I was like, this is kind of weird. Yeah. Is the moral of this Whiplash? W- you must follow worse. your dreams at all costs. Even if it's toothpaste. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's two things going on. There's that. There's the follow your dreams at all costs, which I'm sick of. I'm so sick of because it's such a lot of crap and it's such a so pushed. Yeah. From you know, just do it to screw over all the relationships. Pretty much, just saying yeah. your dreams, achieving your your dream of being a star is, is more important than your relationships in your life. Yeah. Which is exactly this, that's, that's right, and that's exactly La La Land. Yeah, and the other thing is as well, um, he's a purist, and like the yeah. whole message about, you know, jazz should be this and this, and then someone challenge John Legend's character challenges him and says, nah, it's got to move with the times. Mm-hmm. And then there was that moment where he's on stage and like Emma Stone's character is realizing that he sold himself out. And I was like, yeah. this is a load of crap. They <laughs> this should, mu- and this they music should is be really moving. good. This music's really good. They should be moving with the times. Like, all great for, for appreciating jazz, but come on. Yeah. The, the, the fantasy that he's going to have this really successful jazz bar that's so purist and 
Oh. Yeah, well, I mean, pretty sappy stuff. Mate. No, I mean he he might, and it would be lovely if he could. Yeah. For those who do want to, you know, trip down memory. I mean, I mm-hmm. fantasize about somebody creating a sort of a speakeasy type bar or club that I can go to, dressed in period costume, <laughs> oh, and you awesome. know, drink champagne <laughs> from saucers and and so on and so forth. Mm. So in theory, he could do it. So maybe he, and it's interesting, I feel as though we didn't say at the beginning how much we loved the film or how much we didn't, but it definitely feels as though we've all turned a little. Um, I, I agree with Max. I gave it four stars and didn't, it didn't make my top 20, much to the chagrin of some commenters who thought, what a dumb list if it doesn't have La La Land. I'm like, four stars is still really good. It just wasn't in the top 20, but whatever. But I, I, I came away feeling less than, you know, a lot of people came out of it absolutely enamoured of it. And I came out going, oh, no, that was there. It was lovely. And there were mm. some really good bits. But I feel a little uncomfortable about where it went narratively for my own personal sake. And, oh, you know, I wonder, therefore, how conflicted. No, maybe not conflicted. But I wonder what the heck Damien Chazelle's intended message was and whether it got a bit muddled in the way that it came out or whether he wants it to be quite grey and to say, look, we, 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 we fantasise about these things, these are the realities, but I'll give you a movie where stuff mm. happens anyway. Because it doesn't actually happen, uh, it does happen at the expense of other things. Mm, so it isn't a, it's not a singing in the rain ending. Mm, which I did love it for that. I, yes, my, my, my view of the film is that I thought it was a good film that was elevated by some great moments. Mm. Like, I think the ending for me was fantastic. Like, the last 20 minutes, just, like, even though you feel like it was a bit, it was a bit abrupt, I was mm. like, cool, I'm, I'm happy to take that because it made a really clear statement, mm. even if it was problematic. Um, I also loved the, the scene, for all the musical scenes, and I loved them, I loved my favourite scene in the movie and where I shifted mm. from thinking, this is quite good to, oh my gosh, I'm really enjoying this, was the fight scene between... Uh, the two of them in their living room, and it was bathed in green, green. light. And <laughs> That's it was why it was very green. subtle, really subtle. The dialogue was fantastic. Like it just they 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 said so much with so little. That was their best acting. Oh, it the was only amazing. Time. Funnily, when they're at each other's throats, was the most the time I felt the most kind of chemistry, acting chemistry. Mm. And it wasn't even that they were like aggressive or or, or cruel to each other. No, they were just it was so real. Yeah, and I just that for me was what made the film great, mm-hmm. if not being great the whole time. If you know what I mean? Like yeah. I thought, this is a good film. And obviously the production values, you can see why it's getting, in some ways, can see why it's getting 14 nominations, because there's so many different areas that is just so tight. Like, yeah. the music is so spot on. I love that song. I love the song more than, um, or that main motif, more than I love anything from Moana personally. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's a beautiful motif. Um, and just the lighting, the colours, mm, everything is beautifully mm-hmm. shot. Mm. So interestingly then, it feels to me that he's taken all the technical elements of this old-fashioned musical, and he's been pretty um, uh, re- religious, you know, um, what am I trying to say? Find me the word that I need, Putting gentlemen. It all together in the he's been consistent ribbon. in his use of all the technical aspects, yeah, of a musical, and yet he's put in an interesting narrative that doesn't quite flow the way that you would think a traditional mid-20th century musical narrative would have gone. And I think he's to be admired for that. And maybe, mm. that is, maybe that's what people are loving about it, do you think? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it comes back to that point that it's, that it's got that escapist quality yeah. without it being all a happy ending because 
that's not where America's politics is right no, now. No, that's right. It's and, really and, and it's the unhappy, Yeah, the unhappy ending is, is where it's at right now, right? Mm-hmm. Rogue One. Yeah. And so Which happened with Vietnam War. Yeah. And people yeah. were disenfranchised with their political systems. There's all these type of films that came out, very dissonant endings. And then, of course, once they kind of got through that, mm. Star Wars comes along and is a roaring success. And in the 80s, is all this... So yeah, this is yeah. why context, as you rightly said earlier, Max, is everything. Because mm. in 1952, nobody had TVs, did they, in, in 1952? No. You went to the no. pictures, it was, a, it was entertainment, that's entertainment for mm. a reason. You wanted your happy endings, you wanted your singers and dancers to be spot on, because you're not paying good money to go out for the night um, to hear, you know, actors <laughs> sing. Mm. So that's why everybody's indentured stars and all that sort yeah, of thing. That's actually a, a plot point for singing in the rain, <clears throat> a major one as well. The, yeah. the fact that that's, they needed and to can sing. I just say, like, the, the advent three, of dubbing, so good. The, right. the three leads are brilliant, as we were talking. And singing but, in the rain? Yeah, but the fourth lead. Oh, so Jean Hagen. Jean Hagen. Oh, Jean Hagen. she is amazing. And, also, and you probably know this, Sarah, because you're such a big fan, but a lot of the overdubbing later on with a singing voice is actually her. The yeah. lovely low, yeah. rich, that's actually wow. her real voice. Oh, I voice. didn't realise that wasn't Debbie Reynolds. She used Reynolds. to be on radio yeah. as well. And right. a lot of Debbie Reynolds' singing is not her, it's, it's ironically. It's, yeah. um, Amazing. It's, it's, what um, a turnaround. That actress we just said. Jean Hagen. Jean Hagen, and yeah. also another singer as well. This mm. is all made so much more... This, well, this adds to something that's very interesting, I think, about that film. Jean Hagen is not on any of the billing. Mm. Mm. You've got three... The main poster is three people, mm. um, the two men and the one woman. Mm. And I think there's actually... I think there's a, a, an issue with this politically, this film, I think. I think with Seen in the Rain? Yeah. I think there's, there may be a, a, a significant feminist issue, I think. With I, would, I would agree. Oh, I look, would agree with look, that. So She's a device. She's not mm. a character. She's, she's a, a device. She's a, she's a villain. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, she's, she's, she has to be there in order for Debbie Reynolds, who is the, the right. character, yes. to but, fall in love with, the, with Jean in Kelly. In some ways, to me, it feels like... It, it, I mean, it depends on your politics, but it would be... It's kind of like individualism versus feminism as a kind of females united. Because... Mm-hmm. This this antagonist, the Gene Hagen, gets used so that this other woman can be elevated. But I think that's really interesting. So let's just paint a little picture of the ending. Of oh, Singing in the Rain? Yes. Mm. Um, and the last shot is zoomed in on Gene Kelly's face. He's being immortalized for this fantastic success that he's created. On a billboard. On a billboard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's, it's like a picture, pictorial, whatever. And it slowly zooms out and you go, oh, realize, you realize it's a double billing. And it's got um, Debbie, Reynolds, Debbie Reynolds on the other side. Kathy so it's saying, Sol- look, this is, we've actually achieved um, equality. equality. And I think it's actually, it doesn't quite achieve that because basically they use, they have to use two women to create the one thing. But they have to overdub one woman with another woman to just to create the one star. I think there's a, quite an interesting political thing there that they've kind of chopped up one woman's voice and put it over another woman's acting. It's kind of like the statement for me was, you it's, need two people it's for a man's job or something like that. Yeah. Or maybe to create this incredible male fantasy, you've got the gorgeous Lena Lamont, who looks mm. stunning and whom everybody thinks is this massive movie star, because she is, but she doesn't talk right, yeah. and so therefore you have to um, put Kathy Seldon's voice to yeah. make her the perfect yeah. exactly. the perfect it's creation the control for of it is Kelly. Quite I mean, for the time, don't get me wrong, 1950s, yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was a huge step forward, and to, that statement is so bold at the end, to go, look, we have reached equality. But then you look in the film, I found it 
fascinating looking through the film, the use of gaze, um, when the three main characters get together and they're finally like, you know what, this is what's going to work well. That yeah. They find out that this is, these three are going to be the success story. We've really kind of nailed a un- unity. And then after that, it's all the men talking about how they're going to actually orchestrate this. Mm. And sure. it's like controlling her. Yeah. She's this kind of... Yeah, she's, she's a, a symbol of like, she's a yeah, puppet. she's a puppet. Yeah. yeah, I hear what you're saying, and as you rightly say, it's 1952, yeah, yeah. so I don't think they were trying to be feminist. I don't think they were striving for equality no. or anything. And I think the only reason Donald O'Connor's on the bill, I mean, Donald O'Connor is just... He's, he's a puppet. Ju- he's, he's just, just the best, yeah. he's yeah. Just the best song, friend. Uh, have a, make him laugh. Yeah. Make and him it, laugh, exactly. And he's doing exactly that for us. But right. when you think of the context of MGM, Metro Golden Mayor, the studios, who had to churn out however many movies a year, and these um, actors or these performers were on contract and Donald O'Connor was a real guy and Gene Hagen I guess was probably less of a less of a gal but mm-hmm. do you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, so yes I suppose he will be Donald O'Connor despite being just the best friend will be on the billing um, on the billing but also he gets his own numbers doesn't he gets Moses supposes and yeah. make mm-hmm. him laugh and yeah. good morning and you're right and mm-hmm. she doesn't but I think yeah Lena Lamont. My blog is, is Lena Lamont. Yes, I was going to say, right. yeah. <laughs> wordpress.com because I have always loved Lena Lamont, partly for her being a marginalised character, but I also really liked the fact that she sounded so different from the way that she looks. It's mm. amazing. Um, yeah. It's a great farce. And, um, she's so, she's yeah. kind of stereotyped and archetyped as a, you know, a character that's famous in literature, right? The, the female that is either crazy, a bitch, or... Stupid. Stupid. Yeah. Mm. You know, and she's kind of all three. Yeah. And it means that you kind of kind of go, it's okay that we hate her. She's yeah, and that she's like humiliated. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's pretty, it is pretty And, and, and pretty the men are like, yeah. smiling their faces off. Yeah. 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 No, but don't forget, she was nasty, remember? Yeah. She tried to, to humiliate. Um, hoisted by her own patel. Yeah, that's right. So they, <laughs> yes, literally. Yeah. Talking about the make it last sequence, I was watching it with my younger sister and brother, I'm pretty sure, and when he was doing all the falls and there was no laughs in the room, and that has been... What's he doing? <laughs> I said, oh, this was probably funny back in the 50s. I'm like, yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, you were watching it on silent, you mean? No, no, we were watching <laughs> the film, and then he's doing, you know, there's a whole sequence where yeah, he's like, make yeah, make a laugh. Oh, I see, yes. And I was like, what's he doing? It was not, didn't get any laughs. That's interesting. So the physical comedy, no. That's funny as well. That's exactly like, it's pretty much the same moment where Perlina walked into the room, my girlfriend happened to be watching, and she came in and kind of had a look at the screen. And I was like, this is the worst moment for her to spot in. Because he's just rolling around on the floor looking yeah. crazy. And I was like, and she's just like, okay, what are you off, watching? You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the other comedy, I think, still really works. Oh, I think some the, of the verbal stuff. The, the synchronization issues. Absol- are, absolutely. And is, we haven't even talked like, more broadly about the fact that it's just, you know, it is a fantastic movie. And the, it's from the start. Far better than La La Land or anything the I've music's seen recently. Great. The music's yeah. It so starts good. with tension. It's like, who's this character? Totally. Um, it's, you know, just dramatically, it's so well-tuned. It's devastatingly clever and funny. You're absolutely right. And that's why I say that Singing in the Rain, I do think, endures. I think it is as good today as it was in the 80s when I first watched it, as Mm -hmm. it was probably in 52. And you could give it to kids. You could, I think you could easily watch that with kids. And we talk about kids having tiny attention spans these days, but I think they'd lap it up. Yeah. I think the one part of Singing in the Rain, which... Uh, I when I first watched it, I felt it. I didn't feel it as strongly this last time, but the Broadway melody sequence, yeah. which is so clearly like 
I thought, this is so clearly like, we've got these musical numbers, let's just use yeah. them. We've got Sid Charisse on, she's the beautiful dancer in the mm-hmm. green dress, we've right. got her on contract, yeah. we need to do a Charisse movie. And, and yeah. when, when you read about how, how it did happen, it's pretty much what happened. The producer's like, we need to use this. Yeah. Mm. I've got this great yeah. idea, we're going to show and a movie. It, it just goes on forever. And yeah. it, it's not yeah. related to the film's plot. No. Or... The film within the film's plot. Yeah. It's just it's a dream sequence, and then it cuts, and the uh, the, the the head of the studio is like, yeah. Oh, so this is what you want? Oh, I have a difficult time <laughs> visualizing it. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah, and absolutely. We'll somewhere. <laughs> so so I, it was like nineteen eighty five or eighty six. It'll be eighty five, I think, when I first watched Singing in the Rain. And I agree with you. The whole Broadway melody subplotty dream sequence was the only bit of the film that I thought even on my tiny young person level of not really consciously knowing what I was thinking, I was like, this seems a little out of place or a bit boring or a bit long-winded or Mm. whatever. Now, interestingly, Chazelle does a similar kind of thing. And this is not a spoiler, but obviously there are aspects uh, of La La Land where there are dream sequency, maybe alternate realities. And very, very um, long dream sequences. That's right. Using cardboard sets Mm -hmm. and the costumes and the movement and everything. So it's a very, very clear, isn't it, throwback mm. to callback, whatever the word is. But it makes more sense in that film, I feel. In what, La La Land? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it serves the purpose of it the story. It ties in. Like, my, no, I was, I was with my, my family, and uh, so my, well, three of my siblings and my parents, and I could hear my mother sobbing, like five cents wow. away, all through that sequence. She said she couldn't believe how much she cried in that sequence. That so the moment it started, sequence. she was just gone, and then my sister, mm. my sister off as well. And so it made sense, you know, that... I, I have to say, I'm surprised that La La Land has taken everything by storm. I agree with you, Jeremy. I think that the, the, not just the political situation, but the world situation over the last many, many years, I think, has, has made it a prime opportunity for going back to that's entertainment. Um, <laughs> but I am still surprised because of everything we've talked about in terms of it's not quite 100% fitting that square... Uh, cube into that round hole and or you know um, and that's why I do wonder what sort of longevity I think it'll be a flash in the pan as they say in Singing in the Rain it won't amount to a thing (laughs) Um, well thank you for listening to Cinema in Context if you have a burning opinion that you'd love to share with us we would love to hear it about both Singing in the Rain and La La Land. If you haven't seen either of these films, uh, we suggest them to you. Even more so Singing in the Rain, which is a definite classic. Uh, so check us out in a, in a month's time as we discuss all things film and the connections between Kaki Town Hall.